Welcome to the Bridge Podcast. Hey, how many of y'all enjoyed, actually enjoyed the game of hide and seek as children? Okay. Uh, hide and seek is the ultimate you are bored game. You are bored and poor, right? That's what it is. You are bored and you are poor. That's what that means. Because um, there's no, right, there's, you know how to play hide and seek. There's no supplies needed. You go hide. I'll find you, right? Uh, no one liked playing hide and seek with me as a kid. Um, I'm not kidding about this. No one liked playing, and here's why it'll be on the screen. Because let me introduce you to Tim Starry, the best hider and the worst seeker. I was both the best hider and the worst seeker. I was not always freakishly tall, as I am now. I was normal height at one point in my life, and so I was good at hiding. I could find places to hide. Plus, I just had an eye. Like, I don't know if any of y'all are like me. Like, I have, I can walk into any room and I'm like, I know how to escape this room in case somebody comes along. Or I know where I'm going to hide in case somebody comes along, right? I'm always thinking defensively, like a cat. I don't know if cats think defensively. Anyways, so I could hide really well. But the, the reason why no one wanted to play hide and seek with me is because I was the worst seeker. And this explains a lot about who I am as a person. As a child, I figured this out, that a really fun game, rather than play hide and seek, is, okay, I'm the seeker, y'all are hiding, and I'll be like, go hide, I'll count to 100, and y'all go, and as you go, I start counting really loud, and then once you're out of earshot, I just stop counting and I don't look for you. <laughs> that is a fun game, because there for a while, you think you're doing awesome, like, oh my gosh, I'm hiding so well, and then it slowly dawns on you... Tim, are you looking for me? And so no one wanted to play uh, hide and seek with me. And it explains a lot about me as a human being. But I will say this, that um, as I think about that, the best hider and the worst seeker, I think that's pretty true of me just personally. And maybe it's true for you too. Um, I'm great at hiding from God sometimes. And sometimes I'm terrible at seeking him. I'm great at hiding from his will and sometimes terrible at seeking his will. And I will tell you this, I am great at hiding from his mission for me, and I'm terrible sometimes at seeking out his mission for me. Um, And I think maybe a lot of us are in that same boat. Like we get so focused on our life that we're great at kind of hiding out from what God wants us to do, and we're not at all interested at seeking what he wants us to do. Um, And so today we're going to look at a story that is super familiar. This is a story that if you grew up in church, you've heard it. In fact, there's a song about it. Maybe um, we can sing it later and annoy you for the rest of your life because it will never leave your head. But in this story is a story of a wee little man that might clue you in on where we're going, Zacchaeus. Um, but in this story, you're going to see three things, okay? And, and by the way, this is if this feels very conversational, that's because it is. I didn't know I was teaching here until uh, this morning. Um, and so it's pretty conversational today. Um, but in this story of Zacchaeus, I, I think you'll notice, or I want us to notice three things. Okay, in this idea of hide and seek. Here's the verse. The world is seeking Christ, though they don't know it. Everyone in the world is in some way seeking Christ, 
They just don't know that yet. They might not say that. They might not say, I'm seeking Jesus. But if they're seeking love and peace and fulfillment and purpose, they are seeking what only Christ can give. Listen, if you are seeking the thing that only Jesus can give you, then ultimately you're seeking Jesus, whether or not you call it seeking Jesus. So the world is seeking Christ. They just don't know it yet. Second is this. Christ is seeking the world, and he always has been. And the third thing you're going to see is this. We hide, you and I, if you are a believer, and I'm not saying everyone in the room is a believer, but if you're a believer, most of us hide from the mission. He invites us into that mission of seeking the world, and most of us hide from the mission. So we're going to look at this story today. It's in Luke chapter 19. Here's what happens. Um, It's about Jesus and him traveling. It says, he entered Jericho which was an important city in the day uh, that Jesus was alive. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. So a couple things to note right off the bat, right? Number one, Jericho is not like, if Jerusalem was the DFW of of Jesus's area, the, the important city, then Jericho was like the Wichita Falls. It's okay, it's not nothing. But it's an important city, and in fact, you really couldn't get to Jerusalem unless you went through Jericho. And so it was an important city. Lots of people moved through. They were getting close to Passover in this time, like the chronological, uh, what they were doing right now. And so lots of people were traveling through Jericho, which means there's a lot of exchanging of roads, a lot of buying of goods. There was a lot of money changing hands. There's a lot of people in Jericho, a lot of money changing hands. And then it introduces us, Luke introduces us to the character that we're going to talk about. And it says, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and it says, two details about him. He says, number one, he was not, not just a tax collector. That would be one thing. He was chief tax collector. And then the second detail was he was rich. Now, some of you know, because you've been around the Bible and around church for a long time, you know this. Tax collectors were hated. They were absolutely hated um, in, in Jesus' day. The closest equivalent we have to the hatred that somebody would have in Jesus' day to a tax collector. We don't like tax collectors now. But the closest equivalent we have would be somebody that molests children or somebody that deals drugs to children. Like the, the feeling that we would have towards those people, that was the feeling that they had towards tax collectors. And the reason was, is because tax collectors were Jewish people who collected taxes for Rome. So they were traitors to the Jewish people. Jewish people hated them because they felt like you're, you're collecting taxes for the enemy. But the fact that he was a chief tax collector is really important because the chief tax collector in any area had become wealthy enough to where he bought from Rome the rights to, to collect taxes. He bought them. Therefore, he could jack up the taxes any way he wanted. So if Rome said, hey, on every, you know, on all income or whatever, there's a 5% tax to Rome, the chief tax collector could set the policy to where he said, okay, on all income, it's a 10% increase. In other words, 5% goes to Rome, 5% goes to me. And he could just raise that whenever he wanted. Zacchaeus could go from 10 to 15 to 20%. Rome didn't care so long as Rome got its money. So the fact that he was a chief tax collector means, in other words, He was good at his job, and he was super hated because he was robbing from his fellow people. Now, this is all important when you set the stage for who he was. He had all the money. In fact, in Jericho, he probably would have been, if he wasn't the wealthiest citizen, he probably was top two or three 
in terms of wealthy citizens of Jericho, but he was absolutely 100% alone. He had no friends, no one liked him, he was hated, right? And in the middle of all of that, he had all this money, but nothing had satisfied his heart. And it brings us to the first thing, and that's this, that the world is seeking Christ, they just don't know it. And where we see this in Zacchaeus's life is Zacchaeus was lonely. Again, listen, you might disagree with the premise of the world is seeking Christ, and I get, I get it because Romans 3 does say no one seeks for God. I get it. I'm not saying that's wrong. But what I'm saying is this, is that if you are looking for the things that only Jesus can bring in your life, whether or not you call him Jesus, you're looking for Jesus in some way or another, right? You might reject Jesus, but you're still looking for the thing that Jesus can give you. So he was seeking something. He was seeking community. He was seeking purpose. Money hadn't done it. Nothing had done it. Listen, what I'm telling you tonight is this, is that you've been invited in on a mission. You've been invited in on a mission. The great game of hide and seek. The world is hidden away from God. God is seeking them. And he's invited you in on the mission to help find people. You know people who you have a tendency to think they don't want God at all. Just look at their life. You know those people. That on the outside appearance, you go, there's no desire in them for God. They've never shown any, like they care at all. They They don't act like they want God. And so we have a tendency to go, if somebody doesn't want it, leave them alone. But what I'm telling you is this, is that everyone who looked at Zacchaeus, no one thought he wanted anything to do with God. No one thought he wanted anything to do with Jesus. Just because on the outside appearance, someone doesn't look like they're seeking, I would tell you, actually, below the exterior, below what you can see, there is a person who is seeking real, definite answers. There is a human soul, the friends you know, the people you encounter at Walmart, for crying out loud, there is a human soul underneath the exterior. You can only see the exterior, and it might not give any appearance that they're seeking God. But underneath the exterior is a heart that is seeking purpose, it is seeking love, it is seeking peace. This is what was going on with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was lonely. Look at this, verse three. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now notice this. It says, he was seeking to see not a miracle. He wasn't seeking to see a miracle. He wasn't seeking to see just what Jesus looked like. He was seeking to see, I think these words are really important, who Jesus was. Word was out. This is way into Jesus' ministry. Word is out. Jesus associates, Jesus hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. The chief tax collector of a very large city, a rich man who's stolen from a lot of people, who looks like his life is totally put together, who looks like he has no desire for God. What he wants to see when Jesus comes through is, I want to see who this guy is. I want to see who he is. Not not a miracle. I'm not looking for a, a miracle. I'm not looking for just his appearance. I want to see who he is. But he's got a problem because he's small in stature. And so what the next part we see is this. The world is seeking Christ. They just don't know it yet because Zacchaeus was desperate. Look at this, um, verse 4. So he ran on ahead and he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. The world is seeking Jesus. They just don't know it yet. The way we see it in Zacchaeus' life is he's desperate. One of the wealthiest men of the community does something that's crazy. He goes, well, I'm pretty short. The average height of this time, you know, for a man was about five foot three, five foot four. So Zacchaeus was probably 
four something, short guy, right? Short guy. Um, he goes, I got a problem. I can't see him. No one in the crowd is going to part. If he goes, hey guys, uh, Jesus is coming through here. There's like a parade. Jesus is coming through. I've heard about him and I want to see him. Hey guys, can y'all part so that I can see him? Can y'all open it up? They're all like, get out of here, Zacchaeus. You, you know, you robbed from me the other day. You took my money the other day and took it to Rome, right? So no one's parting the way for him. So he goes, what do I do? So what, is, what does he do? Go back to the verse for me, um, Josiah. He runs ahead. He climbs a sycamore tree. He is desperate to see who Jesus was. When it says that he wanted to see who Jesus was, he wasn't just like, "Eh, I'm kind of moderately interested. He was desperate to see who Jesus was. And the way we know that is by the two details. He ran and he climbed. One of the wealthiest citizens of his day would not be running around and climbing. In fact, that is demeaning 2,000 years ago. That's still demeaning today. Imagine Donald Trump pre-president Donald Trump, right? Living in New York City, Wealthy man, wealthy individual, has his name all over these buildings, a lot of money. Imagine, I don't know, the New York Yankees win the national championship. It's not the craziest thing in the world. They win a lot of them, right? The New York Yankees win the national championship, and they're going to have a parade through downtown Manhattan. And Donald Trump hasn't met any of them, and he wants to meet them. He's got a problem, though. He can't get to the parade, like he can't get up the front. So what does he do? He runs ahead of the parade and climbs a tree and waits for him to come. Doesn't that sound like somebody that's kind of a demeaning, humiliating activity? Right, Donald Trump would not do that. He would not run ahead of a parade, climb a tree so he could get a good view. That's what a little child would do, not what a grown man would do. In fact, Donald Trump would go, hey, I got a lot of money, I got connections. I'm gonna use my money and use my connections to get to this team before they even have the parade. I'm going to try to get in. This is another important side note, by the way. Zacchaeus can't buy his way to Jesus. There's no money. There's no greasing of the palm. There's no, hey, I have status. Hey, come to my house because I'm an important person. Jesus doesn't work that way. So Jesus is walking through downtown Jericho, and Zacchaeus is so desperate, wearing a robe, little guy, little stubby legs. He runs ahead and climbs a tree. He's seeking to see who Jesus was. This is the world. The world is not only seeking after Christ, they just don't know it, but they're desperate for what he can give them. Listen, you know this. You know this. Look at the people in your life who are far away from God. They are desperately seeking what they can only find in God. They just might be going about it in a way that you would go, that is crazy, right? That is crazy. So he runs, a, runs ahead, he get, climbs in this tree, he's looking for Jesus, and then look again at the verse, verse four. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore fig tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Goes back to this point, ready? The world is seeking Christ, they just don't know it. And here's the third thing, is that Zacchaeus was lost. Go back to the verse again for me, Josiah. I know I'm all over the place, but go back to the verse for me for again. Notice this. I've never, I was reading this passage over the last couple of days and all of a sudden this hit me. That not only was Zacchaeus lonely, not only was Zacchaeus desperate, but Zacchaeus was lost. He was resourceful, no doubt, resourceful. Let me run ahead. There's a tree, low branches, sycamore trees have low branches. I can climb that tree. I'm going to climb that tree. I'm going to see Jesus. That's resourcefulness. However, by climbing the tree, he's actually getting further away from Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Like by climbing the tree and going vertically up, as Jesus walks by, he's actually putting more distance between Jesus and himself. 
In other words, his desire was to see who Jesus was. His desire was some type of connection, but his best efforts, his most resourceful plan, the best thing that he could do was actually taking him further away from what he wanted to see. This is what the world does. The world is seeking what only Christ can give. They're desperate for it, but their best efforts actually take them further away from who Christ is. Right? This, you see this all the time. You have people in your life who are desperate for love and affection. That's, you, you know these people. They're desperate for love and affection. This is something that we find in a relationship with God is unconditional love, affection, a, a, a relationship with God. They're desperate for that. Their best efforts, their most resourceful plan, like this is how I'm going to do it, is them climbing the tree of I'm going to sleep around. So they're seeking after it, but in their seeking, they're going the wrong direction. They're actually getting further away from what it is they're looking for. Or you see people who are desperate for community. They're desperate for community. This is a huge one right now. The world is, is telling our culture, look, forget the church, forget God. We got community. But those communities that are saying, we'll take anybody and everybody, we'll love you, we'll celebrate you, we'll, we'll you know, rah, rah, we're going to be all about you and you can be in our community. Those communities are far away from God. They're desperate for community. They're attaching themselves to a community, but in the community they're picking, they're actually going further away. That's the best they got. They're lost. Or you have people who are desperate for peace. Desperate for peace is something that you find when you have a relationship with God, with Jesus. You have peace with God. You have peace with one another. You have peace in your heart, peace in your mind. We're desperate for peace, yet some people, the best thing they can do is, the only place I know how to get that is through some type of chemical release. The best plan they got is actually taking them further away from God. Zacchaeus says, I want to see who Jesus was. My best shot is to climb a tree. But in doing that, he's actually getting further away from Jesus. This is the way the world works. We want what Christ can give us. We're desperate for it. We chase after it, but we're settling for counterfeits. And the counterfeits are actually taking us further away from where we are. The world is seeking Christ. They just don't know it yet. They're lonely. They're lost. They're desperate. And even in their best efforts, and I don't say this in a demeaning way at all. You need to hear me say this. I'm not saying this in a demeaning way. If you have non-believer friends, and I hope you do, I'm not trying to say anything demeaning about them. They're lost. They simply don't know what they don't know. They're lost. And their best efforts, and I want to humanize this for you. You know these people. Their best efforts are taking them further away from God, not closer to him. And you've been called into the mission. You've been called in to reach them. They're spiraling this direction, thinking they're on the right track, settling, settling for counterfeits. You've been called into the game. You've been called into the mission to reach them. And yet so many, so many times we hide out from that. And we're going to get to that in here in a second. But look at the next verse. Verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up. He looked up. This gets us into our second point. Ready? Here's the second point. Christ is seeking the world. He always has been. And how do we know he's seeking the world? Because he has eyes for the outcast. 
He has eyes for the outcast. Look back again at verse five, Josiah, if you put it on the screen. So when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, he looked up. In other words, his eyes were not focused on the activity around him. You have to understand that anytime Jesus went anywhere, there was a huge crowd. There would have been religious people. The religious leaders of Jericho would have come out for this. This miracle worker's here. Let's go see him. They're trying to trap him. It's getting close to his crucifixion anyways. They need ammunition, charges they can use against him. So the religious leaders are there. The town's out. They've heard about his miracles. Everyone was coming to see. Like Most people are like, hey, he might do something crazy. Let's go see. His disciples are there. It's a parade. It's a huge group of people. Jesus would have been totally justified just being distracted by the activity of his life. Jesus stops in the middle of his activity at the tree looks up. His eyes were not distracted by the activity of his life. His eyes were for the outcast. Listen, you want to know why we miss so many people? And I'll just be honest with you. <clears throat> the bridge, let me just tell you, this, is, this will be recorded to go on a podcast. Sometimes we stink at reaching new people. I'll just be honest with you. It drives me crazy. Sometimes I stink at reaching new people. And sometimes the bridge stinks at reaching new people. You want to know why? Because our eyes are not attuned to the outcast. Our eyes are attuned to the activity. Our eyes are attuned to our friends, not to the newcomer. Our eyes are attuned to the details of our life. Have you ever noticed how much time you spend thinking just about the details of your life? How much preoccupation, how much energy, how much focus you have just on the details of your life and what's going to happen in the next couple hours? And in the midst of that, think of how many people just kind of are floating by you all day long and you don't have the eyes for them. And I'm telling you, if that feels convicting to you at all, listen, let me tell you, it feels way more convicting to me. Because it is so easy in ministry to get so like, okay, I got to do this, then I got to do this, then I got to do this, and I got to get it all done. And in the midst of it, I'm so focused on my activity that I miss the people that I'm trying to reach. There's so many of us who are so focused on our friend group and the details of our friend group that we're missing the people beside us. Jesus never allowed the activity of his life to distract him from the mission of his life. There's a lot of activity. There's always going to be activity. There's always going to be stuff. You're always going to have details. Let me just break it to you. If you're in a stressful season of your life, it's going to get worse. The older you get, life gets harder. Never gets easy. There's a reason why we always say like adulting's hard, which I hate that. I'm like, oh, shut up. But you know, like there's a reason we say that. It gets harder. Life gets more stressful. There's more details. There's more activity. However, we have to stop and say, I want the eyes of my Savior who goes, in the midst of all of the activity, my eyes are still up, looking, scanning the horizon for the outsider. He gets to the place of the tree. He looks up, and then he says this. It says, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, second part of this point, Christ is seeking the world. He always has been. How do we know? Number one, he has eyes for the outcast. Number two, he calls out to them by name. Zacchaeus and Jesus have never met. This is one of those moments in the New Testament where Jesus shows off his God muscle, right? Like he's fully God and he's fully man. We know from Philippians 2 that he emptied himself of some godly properties. In other words, God is omnipresent. He's all places at all time. When Jesus chose to become a man, he gave that part of being God up. He was in one place at one time. 
but there were some characteristics of God that Jesus retained. One of them was being able to see a person's thoughts, read their heart, and others was just the knowledge of somebody, hey, that guy in the tree, that guy's name's Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. He just knew him. But what it shows us is this, is that Jesus knew Zacchaeus. He knew his story, he knew who he was, and he called out to him by name. Let me, again, bring this forward to our context. You have people in your life that you know that are far from God. They either have never accepted Christ or they accepted Christ a long time ago and have been living off on a crazy tangent for a while. No judgment, we've all been there. Right? We don't look down on somebody when somebody's spinning off in the wrong direction. We just reach out and try to help them. This is not a judgment moment. But you know people who are far from God right now. They're desperate. They're lost. Even their best option of what they think will work is taking them further away. You know what I think Jesus would say to you right now about that person? I want you to visualize and think about one of those people in your life. You know what I think he would say? Hey, Shelby, you have a friend named fill in the blank, I would really like it if you help me. I would really like it if you would introduce us because I've known him a lot longer than you. In fact, Shelby, what you know about this person is an inch. What I know about this person is miles and miles deep. I know their greatest fears, their greatest hopes, their greatest dreams, their greatest insecurities. I've been trying to reach them their whole life. Shelby, you know them. I want to know them. Help introduce me to them. I know who they are. This is the mission that Christ is on. He says, I know the people in your life. I've been trying to reach them for years. Introduce me. Introduce me to them. I'm calling out to them by name. I want them to know me, right? And so he says, Zacchaeus, and then he goes on, verse five. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. This does not mean as much today as it did back then, but this was absolutely huge. Here's the point. Christ is seeking the world. He always has been. How do we know? He has eyes for the outcast. He's calling out to them by name, and he offers change through relationship. When he says to Zacchaeus, standing at the bottom of the tree, come down, I have to stay at your house today. This would have blown the socks off the entire crowd. Because in Jewish, ancient Jewish hospitality laws, see, we've, we've lost this over time, but ancient Jewish hospitality laws, you, when you invited, like, let's say Nate, if I invite Nate over to my home, what I have essentially done is I have signed a lifelong friendship contract with Nate. That is Jewish hospitality, ancient Near East Jewish hospitality laws. If I let you into my house, you and I are now friends for the rest of our lives. Consequently, you didn't let just anyone into your house. You only let your best friends. Like Nate and I would have had to have been working on a friendship for years before I ever said, Nate, come over to my house. Because hospitality was such a big deal. When I open the door and bring you in, I'm responsible for you. We're friends. We're friends for the rest of our life. When Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I have to go to your house today. He's saying, I want to be, and you can think this sounds stupid, but he was saying, I want to be your friend. Can you imagine the power 
of a person who's never experienced friendship because everyone hates him. Rightly so. Uh, Let's not let him off the hook. He had been stealing from people like crazy. There's a lot of reasons Zacchaeus was left alone. But can you imagine the power of what happens when somebody sees the need and says, I want to be your friend? You're not going to shake me off. Let's be friends. Can you see how that would just totally break down the walls that Zacchaeus had in his heart and mind and totally change the heart of Zacchaeus? This is the way of Jesus. Jesus offers change to every human being. He offers it, though, through relationship. He does not invite you to clean up your act, then come to me, fix yourself, then approach. He says, hey, little man up in the tree, I know you're a thief. I know you stole from a lot of people. You're kind of messy. You're kind of messed up. Your best idea today got you in a tree. That shows you where you're at, right? Here's what I want to do. I want you to come down. Don't try to clean yourself up. We're going to your home. I want to be your friend. Zacchaeus has made no promise. He hasn't promised to repay, hadn't promised to redo anything. And Jesus invites him into relationship. What I'm saying to you is this, is that sometimes the way that we can be most effective at spreading the gospel is through relationship. I think there was a a push. It's not as big of a deal now, but there was a push years ago of people like, let's get bullhorns and stand on the corner and yell at people about how they're going to hell. Okay, listen, I'm not saying God can't use that. And if you feel led, good luck. Okay, I'm not probably going to go with you, but good luck. Have fun, knock yourself out, right? But what I am saying is this, is that shouting truth at people, but, uh, but, uh, but withholding relationships seldomly works. Shouting truth but withholding relationship seldomly works to change somebody's heart and mind. That Jesus would say, I'm inviting you in on this. And if, you, if Christ's spirit lives in you and you form a friendship with them, you are inviting not just when you say, hey, I'm a friend to you and I want to be a friend to you and I'm going to walk with most difficult seasons of your life. It's not just me and you. It's me, Jesus, and you. We're friends here. This might be the only interaction, the only rubbing of shoulders they get with Christ. He invites you in on this. He says, come on, let's change people and change them through relationships. Get your eyes off the details of your life. Get the eyes off the activity. Get your eyes off your friend group. Look for the outcast and invite them into relationship. This is what Jesus did. So, of course, what happens? Verse 6, exactly what you would think happens. So he hurried down, this is Zacchaeus, and he came down and received him joyfully. Of course he would. With the context of what we know about who Zacchaeus was, of what Jesus did, of course Zacchaeus' reaction is one of joy. He scrambles down a tree and he's like, heck yes, this is what I've been looking for my entire life. I was going the wrong direction, but this is what I'm looking for. Verse seven, ready? And when they saw it, and when they saw it, now ready? Here's the next part. They all grumbled. When they, we're going to fill in the blank on who they was here in one second. But when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Here's the deal. We don't know exactly who was in that crowd. But Luke makes it clear. Everybody was grumbling. We can make some guesses. I've already kind of laid it out. The religious leaders of Jericho, they grumbled churchy people. 
Isn't it weird how churchy people get mad when non-churchy people get added to the mix? Isn't that sometimes crazy how religious people can get mad when non-religious people get thrown into the mix? Churchy people are upset. Probably the crowd. Again, hey, I can understand it. If I'm in that crowd, if I'm just a resident of Jericho and Zacchaeus has been robbing me for years, yeah, I'm going to be ticked off when Jesus says, come down. I want to be your friend, right? So I'm grumbling. But who I, who I also think was grumbling in this moment? Jesus' disciples. They would have been there. They were good Jewish people. They didn't like tax collectors anymore. They all grumbled. He's gone to be the how he's gone to he's gone he has gone golly can I talk he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. This leads to the third point, which is this, ready? That we hide from the mission. What is it they were saying when they say Jesus is going to eat with this sinner? He's going to hang out with this sinner. Here's some of the reasons why I think we hide out from the mission. When Jesus invites us in to reach out to people, here's some of the things we say. Well, but Jesus, this person hurt me. This person did something to me. A lot of people in the crowd would have had that reaction with Zacchaeus. But this person screwed me over. This person did something to me. Yeah, do you realize the people that hurt you the worst are the people that you might have the greatest influence in? Because when you come to them after they've hurt you and you say, I forgive you and I want to show you who Christ is, they know you're not running a game. They hurt you, right? It, sh- it f- totally flips the narrative on them. But for some of the people, they're like, I don't, wanna, I don't want him to go over there. This guy hurt me. What about this? This person's different from me. This person's different from me. Jesus says, hey, Connor, I want you in the game with me. There's a guy that you know through, you know, when you deliver buns all over the area. I don't know. That's what, that Connor drives buns everywhere. Um, when you deliver buns all over the area, that one store owner, that one person that you know, like, I want to know that person. I know him by name. He's been looking for me his whole life. He didn't know it. You know me. Get your eyes off the bread delivery and look at the guy and help introduce me to him. Connor if he's like me, and I'm not saying Connor's probably better than me, so I'm not saying this is true of Connor, but it's totally, you know, a reasonable, not reasonable, but it's totally like a normal thing that we say, but this person's different. I don't know this person. I have nothing in common with this person. I'm scared because this person's different from me. That's what they're saying. What else are they saying? But this person has done a lot, right? Some of y'all know some people who have, quote unquote, done a lot. Man, they've had a rough run. And everyone, here's the problem of going to a small school and being in a somewhat small town. Everyone knows everything, right? You know the details. You've heard the rumors. You know what they've done. And you're like, oh man, they've done a lot. I don't know. This is what the crowd's saying. This is a notorious sinner. We're not comfortable with this. We hide from the mission because this person's done a lot or... This person is messy. This person is messy. If I become a friend to this person, if I try to help this person, their messiness, this sounds real bad, and yet it's in a lot of our hearts, their messiness might rub off on me. I might have to get a little messy too. Let me tell you, the more you engage in the mission, the more you're going to get your hands dirty you're going to be dealing with people who are messy, messy people. Needy, clingy, messy, dramatic people. Every five seconds. 
I need this, I need this, I need this. You're in the middle of all of the details of their life trying to help. And you're going, golly, this is so hard. Praise God that none of those things were said about you by Jesus. Because every single one of those was true for you from Jesus. But Jesus didn't let that stop him. Yeah, you're, you heard him. Your sin put him on the cross. You heard him. You're definitely different from him. Let's be honest. You've done a lot of sin, and you're a mess. Even at your best moments, you're still a mess. And yet none of those things keep Jesus from approaching the spot where you are, looking up, seeing you, calling you by name, saying, I want to have a relationship with you. That happened if you accepted Christ. At some point in your life, Jesus literally walked up to the spot where you were, eyes on you, called you by name, and said, I want to have a relationship with you. And you came down joyfully to have a relationship with him. None of those things stopped him from approaching you. How dare us allow any of those things to stop us from approaching the people that Christ is trying to reach? Because none of those things stopped Christ from approaching us. So Jesus calls out to him. Zacchaeus comes down. The whole crowd grumbles. Why? Because we hide from the mission. We hide from the mission. We are great at hiding and terrible at seeking, right? Look at what happens next. Verse eight, Zacchaeus stood. This is after a dinner. We don't know how much time's passed, but Zacchaeus and Jesus have been in the house. They come out and Zacchaeus in front of the crowd says this. Ready? We're almost done. Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. This is way more than he has to. Old Testament law says that if I stole $100 from you, I have to give you $100 plus 20%. Anybody a math major? What's 100 plus 20%? $120. Congratulations. Way to go. So Jewish law says I have to give you a what I stole plus 20%. He said, no, I stole $100 from you. I'm going to give you $400. He bankrupted himself. He said, before I even pay any of y'all back, and I owe all of y'all a lot of money because I'm rich. I'm the chief tax collector. Let me give half of my possessions away to the poor. And then let me square up my accounts. What did I take from you, John Tunnel? Okay, that times four. Here you go. Enjoy yourself. Total change. Why? Because money was no longer his God. Because he had met his God. Money was no longer it. Everything that he had been looking for, he had been looking for in the wrong places. Money, status, achievement, being the being the most feared or most whatever of that town, all of all of a sudden just evaporates in that moment. He goes, this is not, none of this is worth it. It's none of this is worth it. I'll just give it away. Here, what did I owe you? Here, take it. Take four times what I owe you. Go, enjoy yourself. I found somebody. I found the thing that I've always been looking for. And then Jesus says these famous words, the way the passage ends, verse nine. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham for... Verse 10, here's the mission. This is the mission. Don't be at all confused about the mission of Christ. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the mission. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And you know some of them. And he's calling you in. And he says, you want to know how I do it? Just look at this story. 
Join me. This is the way that works. This is the way of the master. Join what I do. Get your eyes up, just all the activity of your life, your friend group. Look up, see the outsider. Reach out, offer relationship, tell truth. Introduce them to me. I know them. Introduce them to me. Watch what I can do in their life. Join me on the mission. I lose stuff all the time in my house. I lose stuff all the time. The thing that I lose the most are keys. I lose my truck keys all the stinking time. When I get home, we built our house to where I'm, I mean, literally, this was a conversation. We built our house that I'm supposed to enter in the side laundry room door because there is a counter. And Natalie said, please put your keys on the counter. Make it a habit where you put the keys on the counter because I lose my keys all the time and it annoys her. Now, when I lose my keys, I have moments of freak out. Two things cause me to freak out when I lose them, my keys and my phone. If I lose either of those, I freak out. So let's go with keys. Let's say I lost my keys. Let's say I'm at home, I've lost my keys, I'm running late. And I say out loud, I've lost my keys. Now, what I'm saying in that moment is, somebody get up and help me find these dang keys. But what I say is, I've lost my keys. And I just kind of keep circling the same areas. I don't actually pick anything up to look for them. I just keep circling the same areas. And I'm saying now, second time, I lost my keys. Third time, I lost my keys. Now my voice is starting to get a little higher, a little more demanding. I've lost my keys, right? Like that's how I start talking. Now listen, if Natalie were to look at me in that moment and say this to me, well, you lost your keys, but good news, you still have your truck. Imagine the frustration. Do that to somebody sometime and watch them come unglued. Because when you've lost something, notice this, here's a principle, this is true. When you've lost something, you never focus on what you have, you focus on what you've lost. I could give a rip if I still have my truck, I need my keys, right? I don't focus on what I have. I focus on what is lost. And when I'm walking around going, I lost my keys, I lost my keys, I lost my keys, what I am saying is, get up and help me find them. Jesus is saying to you, I came to seek and save the lost. They're lost. You know them. Get up, help me find them. I don't focus, Jesus is saying, I don't focus on what I have. I leave the 99 to go and find the one. I don't focus on what I have. I focus on what's lost. And guess what? You know them. So help me find them. We have to get, off our, get our eyes off of the activity of our life, off of the details, off of the friend group. Notice the outsider. Invite them into relationship and share truth. Quit hiding from the mission he's given you and quit coming up with lame reasons why you should hide. Oh, this will be hard. Oh, they're messy. Oh, they're different from me. Oh, grow up. Join the mission. None of those things kept Christ from coming to you. Don't let it keep you from going to the people. I want you to think about who you know that is far from God and I want you to think about how can I get my eyes off of the stuff of my life and onto them? How can I invite? How can I introduce? How can I share truth? And then do it. Do it. Quit hiding from the mission that God's put in front of you. Let me pray for us. Bye.